This episode of the Andy Price Podcast is brought to you by Polygon, helping you make better renders faster. We'll talk more about that later, as I'm sure you will be thrilled to hear. So uh, this episode is going to be focused on how to get the best use of your time as an artist. Um, so as you probably know, this podcast is answering your questions, tips, tricks, habits, um, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do next, um, that kind of thing. I basically get an inbox full of your video questions. You can send it into blendiguru.com forward slash podcast question or click the link in the show notes. And uh, basically you take out your phone, selfie mode. Hey, Andrew, this is my question. That's all that's required. And uh, yeah, and then I answer it. So I've selected three questions related to uh, practice, which is the key to getting the best use of your time as an artist. So Without further ado, let's jump straight into this first question by a fella named Sean. And Dropbox is playing now. Howdy, Andrew. You talked about how to learn efficiently, but how do you practice efficiently? What do you expect out of a one hour or two hour or longer practice session when it comes to blender or drawing? How do you know you're truly taking in information, retaining it, and doing it correctly versus, as my dad would say, just fiddle farting around <laughs> with different tools Love and it. not really honing in the skills that you need. I appreciate everything you do and all your content. Great question, Sean. Um, fiddle farting around is a apt uh, description for most people's practice session and being honest, usually my own, right? Um, yeah. Fiddle farting around. It's it's uh, it's it's the plague of anybody learning a new skill because we've all heard the ten thousand hour rule, which I think uh, was Malcolm Gladwell, right? And I think he had the best intentions, you know, through his research. But I think it also set up people to put in hours mindlessly, with the hopes of just hitting 10,000 hours and then magically coming out the other side as, as an expert, right? But we all have met people who have been way better for their age group or their, their practice group or their experience group, I guess you could call it, and people who are way worse than they should be. I've met some people that have been doing it for 20 years and they are honestly still performing at like a second year art student, right? No offense to them. I'm sure it was probably a part-time thing for them, maybe a hobby, I don't know. Um, and then at the same time, I've met some 17-year-olds who are literally getting offers from many studios for their concept artwork because they are incredible, right? And how does that happen? How does a 17-year-old um, perform at, at, at a level of somebody that's, that's just got like decades of experience, right? So we know this inherently that there's more to it than just time, but time is a component as well, okay? It doesn't matter what I tell you. It doesn't matter the best like razor sharp focused tutor. If you sat down and you only had a week, you are not going to be painting a masterpiece really. I mean, I, I don't know. You could maybe do like a mathematical color by numbers approach or something like that. I don't know. But like a traditional art, like there, there has to be an allotted amount of time, which I think is the, it's the conflict, right? It's, it's, it's why it's sort of hard to wrap our head around it because time is important, but also the way you practice is also important. So there's uh, effective practice. I think you said it, right? So uh, the answer here is something that you may have heard of, a concept called deliberate practice, okay? 
Deliberate practice. Uh, it sounds exhausting, <laughs> and it can be. Deliberate practice is uh, is best explained with a story. Okay, imagine you've got two basketballers, um, and they both want to be pro basketballers, but they can only do an hour a day practice. I don't know. <laughs> they still want to be pro basketballers someday. Um, let's say they got a full time job. Okay, they're going to be practicing one hour a day. Okay, they go to the basketball court and they're each shooting for one hour. Okay, now the first basketballer, um, he's shooting by himself. Shoots. Sometimes it goes in. Sometimes he misses. Runs over. Grabs it. Comes back. Shoots again. Right. Just does that for an hour. Okay. The second one is also shooting, but he has a friend who stands off to the side who calls out when he misses whether the shot was overpowered or underpowered. Okay. That's the only difference. After a month, who do you think is going to be getting more baskets? Obviously, the second one. Okay. The key there is feedback feedback on what mistake you have made and how to correct for that as it happens, right? That's when it's best, right? Um, Through that, um, you're able to recognize it because beginners, when you're starting a new skill, doesn't matter what it is, cooking, playing piano, whatever it is, you're going to be doing things wrong and you aren't going to be aware of it unless you are deliberately looking for it, which is really what deliberate practice is about. It's this feedback. It is trying to figure out what I'm actually doing and whether I'm hitting the mark. It's like, cause like, otherwise I, I kind of liken it to, and it probably feels like this to a lot of people, right? Like making art is kind of like standing in a room with a blindfold on and a dart and there's a dartboard somewhere and you're just throwing a dart, <laughs> right? And you don't know when you've actually hit it. And you just sort of like going around, you're just like, Right. And then it, you know, you hope <laughs> that eventually after 10,000 hours that you're going to be good at throwing dust. I mean, it's, yeah, that's a terrible, maybe it's sim- overly simplified analogy, but it can kind of feel like that. Right. Because I've experienced it before where I've, I've, I've made like two steps forward, one step back, and then maybe one step forward and then two steps back. And this sort of like up and down kind of process where, if it was reliable, you would feel good because you'd at least know that I'm, you know, gradually trending up. But if if you're sort of going up and down, it's really disheartening and really frustrating. So, okay. So that basketball example, by the way, comes from, um, I think James Clear is his name. He had it on his website. So he's got a great article about deliberate practice. I think it comes up if you just search for deliberate practice, the beginner's guide to deliberate practice. But anyways, yeah, as I said, the, the key is feedback. So let me explain how to apply deliberate practice to artwork. Okay. Um, All of us have had the experience of looking at a piece of artwork or something that we've done with disgust, (laughs) okay, right? The frustration of knowing what good looks like and what you are able to achieve and this, this gap, this void, right? We've all felt that. We've all had the visceral reaction and the frustration of not being able to achieve it, okay? Very, very, very few of us have actually sat down to analyze why is it that my drawing or my render or whatever it is does not look good, okay? And that question is the journey, right? It, it, it's, well, it's, sorry, it's the journey. It's the, it's the necessary step. It's really the only step in order to get you on the path of deliberate practice, okay? Um, why is it, okay? So you've just drawn, um, let's use an example of like um, 2D drawing, okay? You've just drawn an environment, okay? You finish it. Eh, not my best, not my worst, whatever. I don't know what to make of it. Now, if you just went on to your next one and you just did repetitions, you could be making the exact same mistakes for 
10 to 100 drawings, okay? But if before you moved on to your next one, you stopped and you analyzed why is it that this doesn't look good um, and you brought in the reference photo on top of it um, to, to figure out, like overlaid it exactly one-to-one -one on top of it, you would be able to, to learn some things. Like maybe I drew the horizon in the wrong place or maybe uh, the houses were in the wrong position. Like my, you know, doing that thing with your thumb and lining it up, that was, that was kind of off. I had that problem many times, actually. Um, I realized that I, you know, that thing with the, the thumb that the artists do when they go eh, with, with the close one eye or whatever. Yeah, I was doing that, but my arm wasn't fully drawn out sometimes because the, the canvas was a little closer or something. So sometimes my arm was like up here and sometimes it was down there. And so the measurements were just completely all off the, it was just all over the place. And I didn't realize it because I didn't realize the concept of like a straight arm, right? This is something you learn through deliberate practice, being able to call it out. So anyways, when you, when you do that, you go like, oh, I'm getting that wrong. Okay. Um, as an example, um, I've been doing uh, character drawings for uh, quite a while now. And um, yeah, I, I started doing this. So after I finished like my day of sketches, my hour of sketches, um, I would go back with the reference photo over the top of it and I would see where I got it wrong. And I noticed that I was frequently getting the back of the head wrong. Okay. Um, it was becoming way bigger than it should have been. Right. Which is actually the opposite problem. I think of a lot of people. Um, but anyways, mine was like way bigger than it should have been. Right. I was just getting that wrong again and again and again. So I realized like the, whatever measurements that I was using for the head, something there was off. And I drew like a, a I circled it. Um, I also, I think I was getting the position of the eyes wrong as well. And the chin, I think the positions of the chin. And I noticed that in all my sketches, I was drawing those positions. Okay. And so I wrote down literally on that project file or whatever I was, I was using in red pen, I wrote down uh, head, eye, and uh, chin, right? Positions. There were circles around them. Okay. Next day for my next hour, opened it up. Oh yeah. Those things. Okay. So then my next sketches uh, were working on those things. Okay. So you could just redraw the exact same things. It's probably even better because it forces you to um, really like take in and learn what you try and improve upon the same mistakes that you've done. Um, but if, I mean, honestly, if you're drawing faces, characters, whatever, the same thing, environments, you could just pick something similar and sort of go from that. Um, another example, I know a lot of you are 3D artists, so let's say 3D, okay? Um, by the way, you'll know I'm talking about reference photos, okay? Now, the reason I'm talking about reference is because, as I've said, if you've been listening to this podcast, um, I believe that every beginner, everybody that wants to get good at this thing called art needs to start with replicating the real world, needs to start with realism, the exaggerated stylized stuff, a lot of fun. <laughs> I love it. It's cool, right? That's really, that's that's the emotion. It's it's the storytelling. It's putting something into it. I know it's really fun. I know you want to do it. I know you want to develop your own style. Listen, um, just look it up on YouTube. Um, why exaggeration is not for beginners. It was already talked about in one of my previous episodes. That'll just give you that clip of it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fun, but it is the expert stuff. You don't know what to exaggerate until you know what the real thing looks like. And you only know what the real thing looks like through deliberate practice and repetition of drawing the, 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 the real life over and over and over and over again. Okay. So with 3D, okay, you want to become a good 3D artist. You want to make good environments. You want to make whatever. You have to, first of all, understand like the concepts of making something look realistic. Okay. And start small. Okay. If you start with a house, there's a lot going on. It's just going to take you a lot longer to, in order to get those lessons and you want to be doing this uh, shorter, okay? So start with something small, something you can hold in your hands and you want to be trying to recreate that thing photo one-to-one, -one, okay? So let's say you, 
uh, took a photo of a jar of nails that you found in your dad's workshop. Okay. Took a photo of that, brought it into Blender, put it on the little uh, image editor thing in Blender, try and recreate that exact jar of nails. Okay. So you finish it. Yay. You hit the render button and kind of looks maybe realistic. It looks nice, but doesn't look exactly great. Um, why is that? Okay. Well, you've got the photo next to it. That's one thing. You'll get some lessons that way, but you'll really get the lessons when you put them exactly over the top of each other, which you can do in Photoshop or you could do it in Blender, I'm sure even. Um, but Photoshop's probably easier. Put that exactly one over the top of the other, layer, and then you just turn the layer, toggle the layer on and off, and you'll just see immediate differences, right? The shape of the jar was wrong. You thought it was right, but now you're looking at it one-to-one. Actually, your jar was way fatter than the original one, okay? Now, that might not be a big problem in terms of like style and making things exaggerated or whatever, but you need to know how to replicate the real thing. And that means that your eye, your judgment of proportions is off. So that's something you could work on, okay? So the modeling was not right. You also tapered it at the wrong place. Like it's tapered way too far down than than early up. Again, coming back to like accuracy and uh, attention to detail. These are things that you'll pick up and you'll improve on, but only if you're aware they need to be improved. The, the, the shading on the glass was wrong, right? Your glass was darker than the reference, okay? Why is that? Well, you don't know until you were able to identify what it was, okay? And then maybe there was texture on the glass. Maybe there was other things. The lighting was brighter, all these little areas. Then you, because it's digital, you can actually just fix those things, right, in Blender. So you change the shape of it. You add some texture. You uh, work on the shader. You Google how to make the glass look brighter, um, how to increase the lighting, all that kind of stuff. And then you fix it, Okay. Great job. So that was deliberate practice, being aware of those things. And I promise you, when you start making the same mistakes again and again, it's like something is, uh, it's like a hammer hitting your brain. It's like, duk, 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 hello, anyone in there? You keep making the same mistakes again and again. You're going to fix it or you're just going to keep making the same mistakes and waste some time. So it's 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 when you call it out to yourself that you, you start to realize that, um, you start to realize what they are. Right. So that is the art of deliberate practice. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. As I said, there's a great article by James Clear that really goes into detail about it, deliberate practice. And um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can check it out. And uh, yeah, that'd be good. Um, but that's that's really the concept, guys. I hope that explained that. Um, before we get to the next questions, uh, quick message about Polygon. I'm sure you're all sick of hearing about it, but hey, that's my only sponsor because it's me. <laughs> That's me putting the metal around myself. Sponsored by Polygon. Um, we just released today some brand new beach rocks. Um, so these were scanned from Vancouver Island, Tofino. These are coastal beach rocks ranging from uh, like one meter inside to 14 meters inside. So we sent a crew of our guys over there and uh, they went out using proprietary equipment to uh, ensure that the the, the, the rocks are delit, which basically means that the rocks, when you bring them into your scene, they won't have like one half of the rock is in shadow and the other half is not, or there's blown out highlights or whatever. These have been delit like properly. Okay. They're really, really good. And uh, they are incredibly detailed. So they are up to 16K texture resolution for all the maps. And uh, we also have uh, created a way to develop a level of details for each rock. So each one comes with six LODs, level of details, which basically means uh, whether you need it for like a game ready asset, that's got to be like really low poly. Um, we've got one ready. It's got the exact normal map baked for that. 
um, that you can use. And then if you need like an up close one, we've also got the really high res dense poly mesh there as well. So they're all available at Polygon. So this is just one of the many uh, photo scan releases that we've been doing. And there is plenty more coming uh, in the new year as well in uh, 2021, the year in general. Um, but yeah, anyways, that is Polygon. That's the new release at Polygon. So P-O-L-I-I-G-O-N if you are interested. And I hope to see you there. All right, on to the next question. This one was sent in by Connor. And no, I don't want to rate Dropbox. Oh, come on, play. Thank you, Dropbox. Go and go. Hey, I was wondering what your thoughts are on finding a practice routine that consistently provides positive results, but also avoids diminishing returns and complete burnout. I think my biggest problem right now is figuring out how long to spend on something in order to actually get good at it but also not work so long on it that I mess it up or I just give up out of boredom or frustration. Yeah, good question, Connor. Um, I think there's sort of two there. That sort of, I'll just answer the end bit first. Um, yeah, like how to work on, like know when you've worked on something too long so that you're not like making it worse. That'll just come with time. Um, you'll have to experience when you've uh, reached a point where an artwork is finished and when you just start dabbling and doing things that might actually make it worse, um, you'll, you'll just learn to identify that, right? Um, a lot of artists know when that feeling is, when they just start of like, you know, panning around the canvas in 2D or just sort of moving around in Blender and going like, I don't know what to do next. It's done. Okay. Knowing and knowing, yeah, to, to be aware of that feeling and knowing when it's done, you, you'll just get better at doing that. Don't worry about that. But your first part about, um, yeah, knowing yeah, you want to get positive results from your practice sessions without getting burned out. And I think that's really crucial because, you know, I've talked in the past about, you know, daily work and the importance of, yeah, daily practice. And yeah, it, you could go too far. Okay. You could go way too hard, especially at the start when you're motivated, right? We've all probably had the experience of getting really into something and exhausting ourselves too early on. Okay. Um, like, yeah, somebody gets, you know, really motivated to lose weight all of a sudden, right? So they sign up for the gym that they've never signed up for before. They've, uh, they, they walk in there with their towel and all their new gym gear and they just thrash themselves on the treadmill for an hour and a half, followed by an hour of weights, <laughs> weight training that they've never done before, completely waste themselves. They pass out in their bed at home. They wake up the next morning in too much pain to even get out of bed, Right. And that's not a good way to start, okay? And the chances of them sticking with it one month later and still uh, and still going at it is probably slim without some extreme motivation there, right? So you can do too much, okay? So there's a great concept called the 20-mile march, which was, um, I guess, popularized by Jim Collins in Great by Choice, I believe the book was called. Um, I think I read his first book, um, Good to Great. Um, and this one, I, I don't know if I've read this one, but the, the, the concept of it is really important. Um, I'll actually link to a video which explains it really well by Bailey Calisti. Calisti, I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, well, the 20 Mile March basically is the story of 
uh, two teams that were trekking to be the first person to reach the South Pole. So this was, yes, a long time ago. This was 1911. So um, yeah, two teams arrived there and one of them beat them to the pole and then made it back to the boats safely. And the other one missed out on being the first one and perished. (laughs) They did not, I shouldn't laugh. That was a terrible thing to do. They did not make it back to the boats. Okay, they died. I believe it was like six miles out or something from the boats frostbitten, uh, having eaten all their horses. And it was a terrible story. Not a good place to be. I mean, this is Antarctica. Um, it's a cold place, <laughs> right? To, to, to put it lightly, it can be minus 20 in the summer. I looked it up once, like what is the warmest temperature it's ever been at the South Pole? It's, I can't remember what the exact number is. I don't know why I brought that up, but Google it. The, the hottest temperature of the South Pole, you'd be surprised. It's, it's ridiculous. Anyways, so um, the two teams, the difference between the two teams, um, they had the same conditions, right? The exact same weather. 56% of the days were good weather and uh, 40, 44, <laughs> 44% of the days were bad, okay? The difference between the two teams was that one team on days that were good, they thrashed themselves. They went all the way. They did like 40 miles in a day. The other team... Uh, reined it in. They did 20 miles. Then on days when it was bad, the team that had just thrashed themselves and done 40 miles, they looked, peeked out of the tent and went, mm-mm, and zipped that tent back up and went, we're not going anywhere. It's too cold, right? Too many gale force winds. I can't see anything. Not good weather, right? The other team forced themselves to go out and and slog through it. And again, just do 20 miles, Okay. Then maybe the next day was good weather. And then the other team went out there and thrashed themselves again, okay? And this sort of staggered approach of like overexerting themselves on days when it was good weather and then reining it in because they had injured themselves or because uh, it it was too cold or or whatever it was, um, uh, led to them uh, being beaten to the pole, okay? Um, In fact, that, that video I talked about by Bailey, it actually used the example of like trekking across the United States, right? This sort of staggered approach, like sprinting and then a little stop and whatever. Um, yeah, they'd end up maybe doing like half the distance, right? As somebody who did 20 miles consistently every single day. So the trick there is to set yourself a limit, a, a maximum limit as well as a minimum limit because both are important. You can do too much. You can try to practice every single day and practice too much every single day. So it is, uh, it's important to know when you've reached your limits. And um, because if you don't, you will burn yourself out. As you've, as you've explained, you do not want to burn yourself out. A lot of people have done it. Um, people get really motivated about art. I'm going to get really, uh, really good at art. I'm going to learn all the stuff. I'm going to buy the software and I've set myself up, uh, you know, a week to learn it or, or something like that. And, um, and it's frustrating, man. It's like, they just, they've, it's too short a time frame, and they've just tried to exhaust themselves by doing all nighters consistently. You can't do that. That is not sustainable. You have to recognize you're in it for the long haul, okay? If you, I assume you want to be a good artist. You want to actually, you know, in your future, create a lot of really nice pieces. And the only way you can do that is ensuring that you're going to be in it for the long haul, um, that you are actually going to be around, okay? So you have to, you have to rein it in. You have to be aware that there's a, there's a minimum and there is a maximum. So that would be my advice to you. Um, in my case, I do an hour, okay? I actually changed. I used to do an hour once the kid's, go down for bed at night. 
which was from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. But now I've realized that's a little too close to my bedtime and it can kind of make my, get my mind start working right before going to bed, which is not great. So now I actually do it in the morning. So I wake up nowadays at around 4.30 or 5 a.m. Um, that's what kids does to you. And uh, yeah, the, the youngest one, she, she knows she has to stay in bed till six. So I have until six to do my practice. So I wake up, I'm up, I go straight out here onto my little Cintiq, which I recently got, which is really fun, by the way. I love that thing. And, uh, and I'm doing sculpting now. I'm starting, decided that, uh, yeah, if I want to get good at 2D, I also need to learn how the volumes of the face work. So um, might as well get good at sculpting. So I'm learning sculpting and, uh, and that's what I'm doing at the moment. So um, here's the thing, like if you do a full hour of like really focused learning, it is kind of exhausting. Uh, you will feel like, oh, that was Whew, that was a lot. Um, other days you'll be like, oh, I'm on a roll. I'm going to keep going. Right. And you can, you can keep going. Sure. Um, but don't overexhaust yourself. Okay. Um, don't just turn that one hour into five all of a sudden and stay up all night. Um, because yeah, I mean, there might be a part of your brain that goes like that, that actually, that really sucked that my memory of that event was hardship, right? It was not a fun thing. Whereas recognizing you've got time, you've got more days ahead of you. I'm going to do just this amount. Um, and everyone's got a different amount. Like I'm doing an hour because that's what I'm doing, but you could also just do, um, I mean, yeah, if you don't have kids, if you don't have a wife, you don't have a family and you're young, yeah, you should be doing a lot more than that probably. Um, and you can, <laughs> you've got a lot more energy than a lot of older people. You can do some all nighters. Um, maybe, maybe you need also sleep. Okay. Um, I was talking to Mason Menzies who works for me at Polygon. He's, I think he's 19. I was like, how many hours sleep do you get Mason? He's like, hmm, anywhere from three to six. I'm like, oh my God, dude, how are you alive? Three to six is not enough. <laughs> three to six, three to six. I couldn't function with three, three hours one day, let alone like consistently. Um, but Hey, he's not old yet, but you will be Mason. And then you will experience the pains of, uh, multiple days of three hours in a row. So yeah, that's my advice. Don't burn yourself out. Um, recognize your limits and then just set that up as a daily goal. I'm going to do two hours every single day. That is my limits. Um, here's the other thing, by the way, because I was thinking this the other day, like is one hour enough? Like, could you really get good after doing just one hour a day? There's 24 in a day and you're only using that tiny little fraction of time. Is that enough? Well, think of an artist that works at a studio, right? Eight hours a day. Okay. Think about how much time they actually get to spend with dedicated, distraction-free work using deliberate practice, okay? There's meetings, <laughs> there is emails, there is the administration task that every artist would have to deal with as just being an artist. Um, then there is meetings. And beyond that, there is also just doing work that you already know how to do and is not stretching and challenging yourself. And I think... I mean, maybe some people that work at studios can chime in and let me know here, but I think you would almost be lucky to get an hour of really challenging work done a day. Um, I don't know, but that's, that's my, that's my feeling. Maybe you guys can let me know. Um, 
because I know myself, right? Like you, you, you think that like working full-time on something like, oh, I'm just going to have a lot of time to really go deep and get good at this thing. And there's so much else that you just don't account for, right? It's like you end up like 20% of your time is actually doing the thing you thought you were going to do. And the other 30, 40, 50, whatever percent is um, communication. It's talking to people. It's fixing mistakes. It's how do I address this problem, which was caused by this other problem down the road here and blah, 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 blah. It's uh so I don't know, that kind of that kind of gave me a little like, huh, yeah, there's something there, right? Deliberate practice, like really focused deliberate practice. At a studio, I think you rarely get to work on what you want to work on anyway to really challenge yourself. And then when you do, there's a bunch of other stuff that eats up your time. So eh, I don't know, that's my feeling. You guys can let me know if you, uh, anyone working in a studio, let me know in the comments. That'd be good to know. All right, then this final question, we are at 30 minute mark. We're making time. Okay, final question here from Tommy. Take it away, Tommy. And play. Will it play? Andrew, Tommy here. I want to know how you deal with decision paralysis and how you can pick your topic of choice. For example, when you decide to do caricature drawing after doing Blender for these years. Okay, for the people who are listening to the audio, I should let you know he's uh, he's standing in front of the Brisbane River, which is where I live. So I kind of have that feeling of like, you know, in like the horror movie where there's like the creep and he like sends a video to the girl inside and it's like her sitting on the couch. And she's like, like I kind of have that feeling like I've been discovered. <laughs> he knows where I live. I don't live on the river or under the bridge. Um <laughs> <laughs> put nearby. It's like, hey, there's only one reason you'd put that in your recording. You know I live there, Tommy. I know what you're up to. You're sending me a message. A message. Mm, um, all right. Tommy, your question was, um, God, what was your question? Um, oh, yeah, how to know what to learn next, right? So this is, um, yeah, it's another really good one because when you're, when you're practicing every single day, you'll feel like, I wish I had a tutor. I wish I had a teacher who could look at my work and tell me what to improve. Okay. And, uh, if you don't have that, yeah, you can kind of feel like, I don't know what to do next. Is my lighting, is that the part that sucks? Is it my proportions? Is it the exaggeration? I don't know what to do next. Um, so first of all, I would say you need to have a North star. Okay. You need to have a goal that you are shooting for because that goal is everything, right? Um, like sometimes I get sent artwork and I almost like require them to answer a question first before I even start, which is like, what do you want from this? What are you trying to do? Um, are you trying to get a job? Are you, what was, what was the point of this artwork? Were you trying to replicate something that already exists? Is this a concept piece? Is this like, what, what, what are we trying to do here? Okay. Because my advice to to somebody who is, uh, I don't know, wants to become a game artist, right? And they've just created this, this photorealistic sculpt or something like that with all the pores and all that detail um, would be totally different to somebody who wants to work in VFX at a movie, right? I would tell the game artist like, okay, you probably the most relevant thing to your field right now is optimization. You haven't baked anything. You need to show that if you want to be able to get a job in the industry. If it's, I just want to make make something cool. Well, that's totally different, right? We're just going to talk about like 
yeah, the 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 big and small shapes of the face or the um the 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 lighting or the materials or anything that could kind of improve this image overall, right? So understand, yeah, have a goal, have something that you're actually shooting for because yeah, maybe you've just drawn uh, sorry, maybe you've just rendered that that glass of nails that I talked about, right? And you want to know what am I supposed to do next? Well, what do you what do you want to do? Do you want to make characters? Because uh, you got to get there eventually. So you should make like a map so you know which what direction uh, I need to shoot for in order to get there. I'm starting with my hard surface stuff now, but I'm eventually sorry. I'm eventually going to slowly get into the organic stuff, right? start with small animals or little plasticine monsters or something so I can learn sculpting the schools and then eventually get to the hardest thing ever, which is physical human character faces or something, right? So have a North Star, okay? Um, And then the second thing is uh, if you're using deliberate practice, you should be aware through the deliberate practice method um, what elements are going wrong, right? Which elements need to be worked on next? So that should, if you already know what you're shooting for and you've just made something and you want to make sure that your next piece is better than your last piece, uh, deliberate practice will tell you what to work on next. So that is the, I guess, second benefit to deliberate practice. It'll also tell you what you need to do next um, because otherwise you will just be throwing a dart in the dark. Maybe I should improve the perspective. (laughs) Maybe it's all about the colors, right? A lot of artists focus on the colors like way too early. Um, yeah, anyways, you, you, you won't know. So deliberate practice will, will help you. Um, another thing you can do, honestly, I mean, the most basic thing ever, just get critiques. Okay. So there are a number of Facebook groups. I think are probably the best place to get critiques nowadays. Are they? I think so. I don't know. Are they now? I mean, I'm not hip with all the technology, but I know that like forums are kind of dead. Um, Reddit's pretty active. Are forums dead? Are forums dead? I think they are. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't submitted any artwork to Blender artists in like five years, which, and it used to be the place I would post stuff, right? Art stations sort of took that over. Twitter sort of came along, social medias, Facebook, that kind of place. I mean, every, the thing is, is everybody is on those platforms already. So you're more likely to see stuff, right? Everyone just like instinctively, like an addict, opens up their phone and clicks on the little Facebook icon or the Twitter icon or whatever. And therefore they're more likely to see it. So it's just like, it's like visibility at a certain point. Whereas I don't know the last time I opened up Blender Artists on my phone, right? That's a lot of work. So um, yeah, anyways, so you can just ask people for feedback. Okay, now the trick is to actually say in your post, honest feedback, welcome. You can be brutal, (laughs) okay? Now that's really key. You'd think just saying like critiques would be enough, but um, here's the thing. I think all of us that have given critiques to someone in the past have probably experienced that person coming back with a rebuttal, <laughs> which is the craziest thing. And But here's the other thing. As an artist, I've also given rebuttals, right? Because you feel like you have to explain why you made a mistake or why it's not what you think it is, right? Um my mom is learning to paint at the moment. She's a pretty good painter. She's getting good, right? Um, but there's been times where I just don't want to say anything because she's just come up with an excuse. Well, no, I, I drew the, the feathers because that's the way it looks in the photo. I was like, well, doesn't look right. <laughs> the feathers do not look good. The bird, no bird would look like that, right? The proportions are off. No, they're not. Yeah, they are. They are. 
<laughs> right? So uh, there's a certain point where like people that are giving critiques just kind of like instinctively just say what you th- they think you want to hear and just go like, yeah, it looks nice. It looks nice, right? Which is worthless to you. If you actually want to improve, that is worthless. That doesn't tell you anything. You end up like one of those like chefs, like, uh, you know, pleading with Gordon Ramsay, like as he's just like trashing your restaurant and going like, no, we've had guests, all our guests love this. And then the Gordon Ramsay's like, it's fucking burned. You know, uh, I love that show, man. Kitchen Nightmares. It, uh, I tell you, YouTube is getting very smart. It knows, like, it knows to recommend me stuff depending on the device I'm on. Whenever I sit down on the Apple TV and I open up the YouTube app, it's just all like kitchen nightmares, hotel nightmares, and I'm just like, ah, oh, yeah, hit me another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell them, Gordon. Tell them. Um, <laughs> that's such a great show. I know it's all like manufactured and it's edited to trash and it's like nothing's genuine, but parts of it have got to be. I know the British one is more genuine. Anyway, it's gone on a tangent there. Um, your questions were um, how to know what to work on next. And yeah, have a North Star and um, deliberate practice will tell you what you should be improving on next. And failing that, just get feedback from whoever you can. And failing that, hire a mentor, hire a tutor. Um, find any artist nowadays that is now offering their tutoring services through a Skype call or a Google Meet or something, and um, it's like pittance, right, compared to the price of an art school. Like one of them is just like this guy, Derek Silvers. No, 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 no. That's a completely different guy. The Sliver Way, the Silver Way, the author of The Silver Way, Stephen Silver, I believe his name is. (laughs) He's like a caricature design character artist or something. But I found his, like, he's like, yeah, one of the great, really great books on, um, drawing characters. And yeah, I like found his website because I was like, like looking him up to see his work. And yeah, he offers like tutoring, like a month of tutoring. I can't remember how much it was, but it was like 50 bucks a session or something. I'm like, what? Like you're literally charging like 50 bucks an hour. That's nothing. That is nothing. Like a world-class artist. Like a lot of people like recommend his book as like a really great book. And it was like, yeah, that's so cheap, really cheap. So um, there's also Mentor Coalition, which I think I've talked about before by Josh Lynch. It's like a collection of artists that, um, yeah, they sort of like circulate. Some of them might have like a free month coming up. So they work in the industry and they tell Josh like, hey, I'm a character artist working at Activision or whatever. Um, I'm available my services. You know, I'm available to give critiques um, for mentoring feedback sessions. And so he'll put them up there and go, September, this artist, you know, you know, I think it's like 600 bucks for a month or something. And that is nothing. Okay. If that sounded like a lot to you, you ain't ready for mentorships. Okay. Um, as I explained before, like when you are, that's why I think the, the, the school, like the art school system is, like one of the most valuable parts of it is tutoring. It's getting feedback from somebody who is hopefully experienced. Problem is <laughs> beginners are not the people who need it, right? They are too green to actually get benefits from, um, yeah, from, from, from feedback, right? So 
because at, at the start, you just need to be drawing real life. You need to do that a lot. You need to do repetitions and deliberate practice. And you've got free tutoring in the form of a reference photo. Um, a teacher is just going to be way too, it, like you're going to be overpaying by a factor of a hundred times for their feedback to go. I think that the glass is a little bit too big compared to the photo. And you'll go, oh yeah, that was worth $3,000 for this semester or something, that great revolutionary, you know, but like people value it, right? It's like, yeah, no, I wouldn't have learned that if you hadn't told me. It's like, you could have, you could have reference photos. I want to get a shirt that just says reference, reference, reference. I should, I want to make that shirt and just wear it myself. Um, Cause I feel like I say it enough. It's kind of like the, the key to everything. Reference, 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 reference. What do you think of my picture? Well, did you What's the reference? Oh, I didn't use a reference. There's your problem. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like insulting, but like half of the stuff I could say it about my own work, right? Like it's hard to, like it's easy to sort of like dish out some advice, but it's a little harder to follow it because yeah, like you you get kind of tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again, repeating it. And then you just want to do some fun stuff. You want to break some rules. It's something else I was thinking the other day. Like, I think I, I, uh, like there's something to like learning something and then actually really learning something. I think there's two steps there because I've experienced this before where I've, it's frustrating. You finish a piece and you've just read a book on uh, perspective, let's say like in 2D, right? Just le- just read a whole book on it. You've just been like, whatever. And you've drawn a piece on it. And then someone's feedback is... I don't think the perspective is right. And you go, are you kidding me, dude? I know the perspective is right. I just drew it. I just read a book on it, right? And then you're like, you pull up the thing and you draw the lines and you go, oh, the perspective is wrong. (laughs) It's usually, it doesn't come that quickly. Like usually right after you finish the book, your next piece is pretty good. But it's the, you know, two or three pieces later where you've started to forget the stuff that was in the book or the thing that you thought you had learned. And then someone's advice or critique comes along and goes, yeah, your thing is wrong. The the proportions of the face are off. And I'm like, please, you think I don't know about proportions of faces? I've been drawing 5,000 faces with proportions in like, oh, the proportions are wrong. (laughs) It's it's, It's terrible. It's really, it's like, it's so frustrating because, um, because you're like, this isn't, it's not getting through, right? I've, I've, I've done this a lot and I'm making the same mistake again and again and again and again. So I think this is what deliberate practice can do for you. It's, it's really solidifying that it's forcing you to reflect and it's not enjoyable. I gotta be honest. It's not fun to pull up the reference side by side. People very rarely do it. I'll be honest. I very rarely do it, especially with Blender. Um, it's, it's a little easier with Photoshop right there. You just open up a little layer and crack it in. But, um, but yeah, very, very few people do this. And it is like one of the most important things that can really, really help people. So, you know, if you're wondering like, oh, Andrew, you're going to do like critique, focus critiques. I'd like to get critiques of your artwork, of my artwork. Um, I can almost guarantee you probably my advice would just be, <laughs> where's your reference? Pull it up. Ta-da. That's what it is. That's what you should focus on. Sounds overly simplified, but like, honestly, that's it guys. Um, so I hope I, uh, didn't beat dead horse. Hope some of those lessons were helpful. 
Uh, if you would like to send in your video question for the next episode of the podcast, blenderguru.com forward slash podcast question. Uh, the link is in the show notes. So if you want to click it, you just get access to a little Dropbox folder. Um, so you just pull out your phone, record your question, go to that link and then um, attach your video and I will get it. Um, please, please, please include a question that is actually a question. Um, this sounds crazy, but like 80% of the responses I've received are people that uh, have told me their story. And then at the end of it, they say, so that is my question. And I go, what was the question? Uh, <laughs> it's really, it's, it's important to make sure that your question is clear and concise. So try and keep it down to 30 seconds and uh, you stand a good chance of getting featured. Um, that would be really good. So that's my advice there. And also to the people who have submitted your question, don't lose hope that I have like deleted it because I'm actually starting to put them into categories for future episodes. So like one on career advice, another one on something else, and I'm saving them for a future episode. So yours might be featured there or it might not. Maybe it is in the trash. Um, try again. I don't know. So thanks guys. Um, oh, this podcast is also on Apple iTunes now as well. Um, the Apple podcast app or whatever. I realize you're supposed to manually submit it to them. Um, it wasn't just automatically distributed. So you got to manually submit it to them. So it's on there now. Um, give us a rating if you would like. And uh, otherwise, guys, I will see you in a future episode. Bye.